I had no boundaries. I would let everybody just suck me dry. Like mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. someone wanted this, I was there. If someone wanted this, I was there. And of course, my sister-in-law said, oh, you are a, a, a super mom. And I did not realize till many, many years later that actually was not a good thing. Mm-mm. I don't want to be a super mom or a super uh, woman, you know. Mm-hmm. I just want to be a normal <laughs> Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, beautiful, badass women who have been guests on this show. I had a mission to travel to every country in the world. But since that didn't work out, my new mission is to speak to at least one woman from every country in the world. There are 193 countries, and I still have at least 180 to go. So, if you know of somebody who has an amazing story to tell, let me know. I'm all years. In today's episode, we're speaking with Mona Astana. Mona was born and brought up in India, but she is now settled in the United States. She was brought up with traditional Indian values, and she continues to uphold them. While in the midst of being the ideal daughter, daughter daughter-in-law, wife, mother, and sister-in-law, she realized that she needed to make time for herself. In this episode, Mona talks about how she learned to find time for her passion, created a nonprofit, and became Master Mona, a fourth-degree black belt in Taekwondo. This is her story. Hey, Mona, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to hear the story because I honestly think that you are like a carbon copy of my life. <laughs> so I'm really, really interested to see how things have, you know, how it how it was and where you are now. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Molly, for having me on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. So you were born and brought up in India, but you came to the U.S. Uh, much later. So growing up, what was your what was your experience like uh, in India? You know, did you have you know you had dreams and aspirations of what you wanted to be, or how was it? Uh, my growing up years in India were actually uh, probably a lot similar to a lot of the other women I know who came to, you know, from India over here to the U.S. Uh, we were a comfortable upper middle class family. And, you know, I would go to school, do my homework, play with my friends and summers would be with my cousins. And, uh, you know, it was a very simple life. And uh, as for my aspirations, I think I always enjoyed teaching. My brothers would always make fun because I would ask my housekeeper to sit down in front of me while I would teach him English on a blackboard. And they would always call me like, you know, teacher, Agai, teacher has come, you know. So I think I always enjoyed teaching. 
And I also uh, enjoyed helping people. I was always, you know, doing, I wanted to do something where I could help. And I think that always gave me a lot of joy. And I remember that as a teenager, actually, I basically even started a club uh, with my friend and we made this club quote unquote club to do social work, but also to meet boys. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but the main purpose was that we would get together and oops, sorry. we would get together and we would go to, uh, you know, low income houses and we would teach uh, young kids math and English. And we were so into it. We even got a letterhead. We made it formal. We got a teacher in there. Wow. uh, You were enterprising. And so I was just like, and of course, I had a friend who was also very eager, enthusiastic. So we are always there, you know, supporting each other. So that was one thing. And then I kind of graduated. And then as guess my parents did not really have a lot. And I am the younger of two older brothers. I'm the youngest and the only girl. And, uh, you know, my parents never really put pressure on me for you have to do something. You have to have a career or you have to, you know. And I think that for the most part, they just actually wanted me to get married and be happy. Mm-hmm. That was there, like, mm-hmm. you know, just just that would be the ultimate thing. And every time I asked them if I wanted to do something, uh, you know, they would be like, oh, first get married, then you can do whatever you want. And little did I know that that's not how stuff happened. <laughs> you know? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So growing up, I think I, those were the two things I wanted to teach, and I wanted to do some social work, but I had no idea. And I think somewhere down the road in there, I just kind of, it kind of got forgotten in life and mm-hmm. everything else that was going on. So, so yeah, that was sort of my growing up. And actually, when I was 17, uh, an event happened. My, I lost my mother. Oh, I, she passed away. She was very young at 42. And uh, so I was, you know, growing up in a very stoic house with one, a dad, two older brothers and a granddad. Mm. And uh, I really did not have any female energy in the house that Mm -hmm. was there to guide me or you know to tell me uh what to do or how how, what I'm what I have to expect Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody close to me I could ask like what's marriage like or what's having kids like or Mm -hmm. you know so that was a little bit sort of difficult for me and uh, oh I can imagine I mean so at 17 you're so young and that's when you want somebody to talk to about, you know, all the dreams and aspirations or, you know, just stuff like you talk to mom, right? right? Yeah. So um, that must have been really, really hard. So you didn't have a confidant or anybody that you could talk to. Uh, how, how old were you? Because right after that, you got married, right? So how old were you when you got married? Uh, I was 24. Okay. So that was so, a few years. A okay. few years later. So actually, my brother got married uh two years after my mom passed away. So I got a sister-in-law. So that was nice. We had some fee and she was actually the one who, you know, kind of took me under her wing and taught Mm -hmm. me cooking and Mm -hmm. stuff that I should know in order to get married. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) 
So, um, so that, I'm glad you had a sister-in-law or somebody to kind of take, uh, take care of, you know, so I think it's very important for us girls, women to have that, you know, uh, best friend kind of thing, mm-hmm. just so that you can talk about anything and everything. Um, so you, uh, so you had a few years after, so you went to college, uh, yeah. and then, and then you got married. Was it after college that you got married? Yeah. So after college, actually, after I finished my undergrad, my father, uh, retired from his bank. Actually, I guess my father rose to the ranks of, to become the CEO of a national bank in India. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were living the high life and mm-hmm. enjoying the perks and, you know, getting passes to all kinds of events and uh, being taken care of on vacations. So it was a really, you know, good life. And after that, he got an offer to go to Bank of Rajasthan also as the chairman. That was his post-retirement job. So we went there. And, um, you know, after that, I think I started doing my master's in public administration more so because I couldn't understand what else to do. (laughs) So I was like, I'll do public administration. And my dad was like, yes, you know, you can become an IAS officer. And, you know, those were the days when IAS officers were like, okay, so I kind of did that. But I think uh, a year, uh, one year into it, my father and my brother decided that, oh, you know, it's time to get her married. She's 23. Let's, you know. So under the pretext of let's send you to Bombay to, uh, you know, you can spend some time with your brother and your nephew, who was pretty young, who was a baby. And you can maybe get a job there and get some work experience. So I got, I went there and through my dad's connections, we had a friend who took me in and I started working there. And on the side, of course, we had biodatas and all kinds of things, you know, floating around. So, <laughs> so when you say biodata is like, uh, would, would the boys come to the house or to, to like, oh, you know, to see that are you a match kind of thing? Like, or is it like you would have, or did you, were you able to like go through the list and say, okay, no, I don't, or yes. Did you have really a choice in anything? How did that, how did that all work out? Um, I did have a choice, but I have to tell you the truth. I think I felt too, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say young, but too um, unsure mm-hmm. of whether I will make the right decision. Mm. And, you know, because again, culturally speaking in India, as you said, you know, when you're in a household, you're, it's always the dad and the brother or uncle who knows what's best for you. And you mm-hmm. just kind of go with what they say and you mm-hmm. don't, you know, you respect their wishes. And uh, I think because of that, I kind of became like a person who wasn't even sure what she wanted be- mm-hmm. unless it was approved by exactly. my, you know, brother or my dad. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, and of course, uh, you know, they would show me the pictures of the boys and I would see the pictures or have them come and meet me. And uh, my only thing was that I want to marry someone who wants to marry me. He Mm -hmm. has to take the first step. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I didn't want to be those who kind of push the boy into getting Mm -hmm. married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, then one of my uh, dad's friend uh, from the banking industry had a nephew who was flying down to from the US Mm -hmm. and said, uh, you know, we would like both of them to meet. And Mm -hmm. I met them, I met my husband now Praveen and uh, 
you know, it was funny because he asked me, he's like, do you, what do you think of moving to the U.S.? And I said, I don't know. I don't really want to move to the U.S. I'm just thinking I might go there for vacation, but I don't really want to move there. Mm -hmm. And later on, he joked and he said, why did you want to even meet me? Mm -hmm. And I counter back joke, not joke, but this is serious. But my dad and my brother said, just take this like in practice interview. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to marry the guy, but you know, it'll be good practice for you to meet some boys and know how things, how questions work. And so, (laughs) I mean, I did one and I was like, I don't want to do this again. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so that was funny. But uh, so I joke with my husband, I was like, you were just an experiment and practice Mm -hmm. and look what happened 30 (laughs) years later. later. So so did he hold it against you? Because you said that you didn't want to move to the US? Did he hold it against you? Or no, he was just surprised. uh, And you know, like, he's like, I was just surprised why you said something like that, because generally all the girls he had met in India were excited to go to the U.S. And they had all these plans like, Mm -hmm. oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to really go. Mm -hmm. How could I tell him that you're just a practice interview? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that because it was the same thing with me. I never wanted to leave. I was I loved being in India, you know, and so when I had to come, it was like, Okay, just look at it as an adventure, but oh my goodness, did I miss? I missed home so much. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I used to always think I'll get married and be somewhere close to where I grew up in Bombay. My, you know, my bubble mm-hmm. was just so small. I mm-hmm. did not ever think. And then, uh, so anyway, I, I guess he met me a couple of times and he met other girls and then he came back and he didn't hear from us. And this was new for him because he's like, generally girls are the ones who always call and say, you know, we would like, and I, I didn't say anything. So he kind of asked his uncle to, you know, put in a good word for him. (laughs) So, so uncle called and said, Oh, my nephew's a really good boy. He's really interested in her. I said, okay, well, I guess he's done one criteria. He, he's coming first. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I don't want to go through this again. So let's just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Not much thought required, uh, which is so different from now. Oh, yes. Um, It was just and I said, well, my parents are the ones and if anything goes wrong, I can always, you know, tell them. (laughs) I mean, honestly, when I, I remember too, it was like, there was no out. There was no, there was no like, oh, if this doesn't work, it's okay. Or you couldn't come. No, no, no. It's like, this is it. You know, it's like your, your whole life has been groomed for, you know, being the best daughter-in-law, wife, mother, whatever, you know, everything you, because you're holding the family together. It's a family name. It's, you know, all of that. Right. So exactly. And very different. Like they say, you're not getting, you're not marrying the uh, one person, person you're yeah. marrying into the family, family so right. you have to take the whole family into consideration I right. think I did that for so long and mm-hmm. you know uh, which was a very new concept for many people here oh yes uh, sure. <laughs> so I know uh, but yeah so I kind of got married and my brother believes in horoscope my even mm-hmm. I started believing in horoscope so horoscopes got matched we got really good points and so uh, 
And it was funny because my Bobby said, my sister-in-law that, you know, if you meet him for the second time, it's kind of hard to budge back. So <laughs> you I'm better like, be sure. <laughs> so better be sure when you meet him for the second time. I'm like, wow, like this is serious. <laughs> oh my <laughs> and, God. I know. It's like, how and, do you know anything, right? Nobody's nothing. told you anything. We don't, we don't, it's like not like we used to date or used to hang out with them or, you know, you right. know what we're talking about. And of course, the girls who date were not the ones that you marry. Too, right, right. <laughs> so exactly. it's like how do you even know and all i mean all i knew was what we saw in the movies and that was of course like completely different right so, oh my goodness so so then what happened i mean so you came to the u.s with your husband what was it like i mean i know how, i know how it was for me it was like such a culture shock for me what about you so, how did how was it like after you came over here yeah and of course the as you said the culture shock was big I came first to the to Los Angeles, flew into Los Angeles. And oh, before this, I have to tell you something very funny. I actually was kind of upset at my folks getting me married off and sending me off to the US. And we barely even know the guy. Right. So I actually told my dad, like, you know, and I'd heard stories about them having wives and girlfriends in the US. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I told my dad, like, how could you even, you know, we should find out about him. Like <laughs> Like you should. This is after you agreed to marry him. Yeah, because then okay. as an afterthought, I was like, wow, they really agreed pretty fast. I mm. mean, they have no problem sending me to the U.S. and I've right. never been abroad. Mm -hmm. So and they're like, no, family is good. He's mm -hmm. good, decent guy and everything. So, yeah, I actually had somebody, my dad find someone at IBM who because my husband was working for IBM and, you know, and I don't know if he really double checked, but I think he, he said he did. <laughs> but yeah, he has no girlfriends and no wives. <laughs> That's a movie influence. For sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I'd heard stories of other girls who mm -hmm. had been, who didn't have the green card and they had right, to right, wait. Right. And then their husbands have, you know, affairs and right, all right, kinds right, of, right. you know, mm -hmm. horror stories. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I came here and of course we did our honeymoon he rented a mustang convertible and we Ooh, honeymooned nice. on the high co highway one in mm -hmm. california so that mm -hmm. was really nice and then he was actually stationed he was working in tucson arizona okay so i went to tucson arizona after that and it was such a talk about contrast i mean before oh, yes. the culture shock i got a place shock i was mm -hmm. like what i feel like i'm in the village here mm -hmm. uh after being used to bombay and the lights and the hustle yes. bustle and the traffic i was like la seemed more like us to me this doesn't right. seem like us to me but anyway there i was and uh you know i had no idea how to use all the stuff yep. the gadgets washing machine <laughs> and everything and you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I missed having the servants of them. Like, at least if there was somebody, I could at least talk to them here. There was nobody. Nobody, yeah. So I was like, A, first of all, I'm doing everything on my by myself. I mean, I felt like I was demoted. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I mean, I used to say like, yeah, I lived all that life, you know. So now it was my turn to do all this other work. And I'm like, I've never there's no chauffeurs, there are no maids. And the thing that got me the most was the pin drop silence. Yes. And I'm like, not even a dog was barking. And I was like, 
my God, this is, I used to feel so scared in the apartment when you went mm-hmm. to work and I was mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. So of course, then I got into the habit, which I feel some women do that. I would have the TV on. Yep. Yep. Just to have some noise. Just, just to, to have, have some noise, just yep. to have something in the background that there, there are people around me. And you know, when I first landed, I thought everybody was on vacation. <laughs> Then I was like, wait a minute, a whole city cannot go on vacation at the same time. I know. Where where did everybody go? That was my question. I know. It was just like, do people live here? Are they in their houses? And so that was just very, very different and very, it was eerie. Like, Mm -hmm. what's Mm -hmm. going on here? Mm -hmm. So that was definitely very difficult for me. Luckily for me, my husband's younger brother and younger sister were studying here Mm -hmm. and they would come for the holidays to be with us. So that was always nice. We would have some company and chit chat. And my sister-in-law has been very friendly, very nice. So she kind of, you know, also took me under and showed me like, okay, I'll take you to the store. And, oh, you've not had root beer. You've not had this. (laughs) I mean, I had Coke, root beer, muffins, all kinds of things were introduced to me. Uh, You know, I learned how to drive again on the right side of the road. On the other side of the road. (laughs) On the other side of the road. So uh, it was uh, a lot. And of course, the culture shock, like, you know, how do you meet people? How do you greet people? And, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the ways you talk to them? And Mm -hmm. so luckily, you know, my sister-in-law was there. So sometimes when she, and she lived with us for a couple of years because she did her master's from U of A. Okay. And uh, so she lived with us. So that was nice. I kind of would take her cue on a lot of things and see what she's doing. Like, oh, she's hugging. All right. I guess I go in Mm -hmm. for a hug. (laughs) You know, it's okay. Yeah, It's very, it's very different. You know, did you notice that, you know, when people like they shake hands and they look at you and they like smile at you in India and I was like, Oh, first of all, you would never, you know, it was always, you always had that physical distance, but you never mm-hmm. ever looked a person in the eye when you talked, exactly. especially, especially men, because you're like, no, no, no. You know, with right. women, it's different, but with men, you were always like, you know, kept a distance and made sure you kept your eyes lower because you never wanted to like have eye to eye contact because that made it very uncomfortable. Here it's very different. It was very direct. Very direct. Yeah. And you would, you know, even grocery store shopping, like just standing there talking to the guy. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? How's your day going? And just simple things like that. I'm like, I guess you just make conversation with everybody. (laughs) Right. Right. Didn't have to mean anything in order just to say, you know, if if you you didn't say anything, it was considered rude. Exactly. So, yeah, that's definitely something that took... uh, that took a while to get used to. So, so you, um, did you guys move out of Arizona? So is that where you stayed for pretty much most of the, most of your time? Um, oh, no, we stayed there for four years. Okay. And I call that, that was probably our sort of honeymoon phase still going on because okay. we hadn't had kids. Okay. Uh, we decided we'll wait for four years. And of course, and I want to tell you a little bit about my husband. He uh, was uh, actually moved to Africa with his parents when he was one a year old. Okay. So they basically spent all their life in Africa and Zambia and grew up there. Okay. So I would get calls from my mother-in-law if everything was okay with me because there has been no baby and it's oh. been, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh 
of course. It was like, wait, uh, it's been a year. Why is there a baby? Yeah, it's been two years and it's been three years. And of course, we decided we'll wait four years so Mm -hmm. that we can just sort of get to know each other, hang out. And so we had a really fun life. And Mm -hmm. my sister-in-law was also very fun. And we, we went for a lot of trips and coffees and restaurants and, you know, just did a lot of uh, traveling by mm-hmm. road. And, um, you know, so we kind of did that. And then we moved to San Jose, California, in, okay. after four years. And that's when he got another offer. And we got transferred to California. And uh, that was sort of my baby boom period, I like to call it. Okay. You had all I, your babies there. I had all my babies there. And a lot of things changed for me after my oldest was born and she was about six months old. Uh, my in-laws who were in Africa were not doing too well. My, oh. uh, my father-in-law is a heart patient and my mother-in-law had a lot of things going on. So everybody was like, hey, your kids are there. You have a bahu, a daughter-in-law, so you mm-hmm. should go there. And so they finally moved and uh, came here uh, to California. Oh boy. So now yeah. you had a husband, a baby, and in-laws to take care of. In-laws to take care of. And mind you, my in-laws left in the 60s uh, from India. From India. So their mindset was still stuck in the 60s. Yep. So it was, I mean, they were expect, uh, you know, they wanted a very traditional environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, we basically uh having a a baby in my arms and I was feeding and I was cooking two meals a day and uh, cleaning up and you know so, I mean you were pretty much homemaker I was a homemaker Chief I cook was... and bottle washer for the exactly whole... and okay. that uh, and my husband was off to work and I then of course after two and a, after a couple of years I had another kid and mm. uh, my second one was not a very uh, you know uh, was a high risk pregnancy. Okay. I had actually identical twins. Oh. And uh, I think in my uh, fifth month or sixth month, I fifth month, I found out actually that I had twins because they didn't do an ultrasound before that, you know, that early. So I did the ultrasound found out we had twins. But unfortunately, one of the twins died. Oh, uh, no. in utero so they had to take out the other twin by a c-section oh. so my middle daughter was born at 26 weeks and uh, wow. she was in the intensive care for about two and a half months mm. pretty must much have been so hard because you had it, a two and a half year old at home exactly. and you had your in-laws plus you had to deal with the pregnancy not only that plus you lost a baby and you had a baby in icu oh Yes. Oh my goodness, that must so, have been so traumatic. So yeah, I would just get up in the morning, I would, you know, take care of stuff, you know, get the breakfast, lunch going, um, and then pack my ba- little bag and go to the ICU in the afternoon. That was sort of my free time, where I would spend time with her and just see what, you know, how she's doing and then come back in the evening, cook dinner. So I don't even know. I mean, days just went into weeks and two months. Uh, and uh, so you left your older one at home when you went to the when you went to the hospital. Yes, I left her with my with my in law. So my mm-hmm. father in law was actually the one who really took a lot of care of her, and mm-hmm. you know would just hang out with her. And uh, yeah, so we did that, and then finally my uh, middle daughter came home uh, after three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was on oxygen, uh, 
So, uh, and then she went through a lot of therapies and, you know, so that was just another road that I, it's almost like a blur to me. I don't yeah. even know. Where uh, you found the strength, but you where did Where I found somehow. the strength. <laughs> Basically, no, but, but I was just, just think like, about it, you know, but just when you think about it, you because, you know, you didn't have a mom that you could rely on, but you had your mother-in-law, but still the, the amount of strength that you gained from that experience, because you like, there was no other way. It's like, right. you know, there's like, who else am I going to ask? I'm the only person that is my daughter, right? It's my child. Of course, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do everything in my power. So you must have drawn so much strength from, I probably was more of a survival more than anything else, but you yeah, never I even think, thought about, like you weren't thinking about anything else. You were just taking it day by day pretty much, weren't you? Exactly. Yeah. I basically just was telling myself that I'll just get through today mm-hmm. and then I'll get through tomorrow. And, uh, as you said, there was really nothing much to nothing else I could do. I had to get through. I had to make sure that all the things I was doing were getting done. Mm-hmm. So I was not thinking about myself. I was not thinking for myself. I was just thinking about what everyone needed. Mm. And and I think so much time went in that that uh, before I knew it, it was nighttime, <laughs> and I would start again the next day. And uh, so emotionally, it was a very very hard time for me um and you're right I actually missed my mom a lot so I remember having those moments when Mm -hmm. I would just cry because I like wanted my mom to be there so I could ask her like so how was it for you did Mm -hmm. you have any trouble pregnancies or what happened or Mm -hmm. how did you cope um so did you talk so, to anybody? I mean, did, I mean, your husband also must have been going through his own, you know, his own trauma, having to deal with all of this. But did you get help? Or, you know, those days, there was no such thing as there was no like you know, what they call um, uh, uh, post-pregnancy, you know, all the, yes. the, the nobody ever talks about that. I mean, even when I it's like the nobody postpartum, blues, postpartum and- blues, nobody talks about that. Nobody, at least in those days, they didn't talk about it. Now, of course, they're starting to. But mm-hmm. did you have anybody to talk to as you were going through all of this? I mean, neighbors, friends, cousins, family, or it was just pretty much you were just on survival mode and just doing one day at a time? I think I was just in survival mode. I didn't want to tell my family because my family was in India. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to do is you know, worry them and mm-hmm. tell them I'm going through all because I'm like, what are they going to do? It's not like they're going to come here anyways to help me. Mm-hmm. Or even if they wanted to, it just wouldn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't really talk to my mother-in-law because she always told me that, you know, we did it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> right. So we uh, dealt with it. We, we look at our kids now. Yeah, so. <laughs> and she would always tell me how much of a terrible time she had, which was mm-hmm. nothing compared to what I'm going through. So if anything, you know, I should be just grateful that, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're there to help. I did have a friend, I had a close friend, somebody from India that I grew up with who was in also in California. So, you know, once in a month, a month or something, I would be able to meet up with her and Mm -hmm. we would go for coffee. But you know, when you meet somebody and you just want to have fun, fun you want to yeah. relax, you don't want to talk, talk about, and I know problems. I would talk a little bit about that, but uh, she was single, she was not married still, mm-hmm. so, uh, but she was very, you know, it was nice just have her there and just right. be able to just burn, you know, cool mm-hmm. off and mm-hmm. have a good time, and mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we would do that. I think I 
don't think I could even confide in my husband too much because he was busy with work. And I was like, you know, he's coming home and I don't know how much can I tell him that so much has gone on during the day. Right, right, right. So, um, so I think I basically just internalized it and just told myself to stage, you know, how you feel like you're in the middle of a the tornado right. and you just keep your eye uh, you know your focus on, on the this. yeah on the center so, right <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's what I was doing I was just taking each day at a time and just going mm-hmm. going on and also I didn't feel anybody could understand what I was going through because I didn't know anybody who right was right. going through what I was going through right and, 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 you know, I think we were also brought up not to talk about our problems because it's like, exactly. it's like a sign of weakness. It's like, why do you need to tell everybody? Why are you airing your dirty laundry in public? And, you know, but exactly. I, I don't, I mean, now when I look back and I think about, it would have been so nice if there was somebody that you could just vent. It's not like you're looking mm-hmm. for a solution. You just want somebody to give you a hug and just say, it's going to be okay kind of thing. Right. And, you know, that's, it's so important though. Oh my gosh. And so, so then what happened? Uh, then I guess, uh, we had another one. <laughs> <laughs> were you yeah. paranoid? I mean, were you yeah. like, so when you were with your third pregnancy, you was like, Oh my God, what if something like this happens again? Actually, that- no, I think that's one of my personalities. I guess my nature is that I tend to be very calm. Okay. And, uh, I think that both in my husband's family and, and in my family, we did not really have a special needs child or a pregnancy as such and so I know that um, both Praveen and I have had three in our family and Mm -hmm. so we always wanted three Mm. uh, to begin with so we said you know what let's just put everything in the hands of God and let's just try for another one and we got another one and she was a girl much to my mother-in-law's dismay who really wanted a boy. And of course, she wanted us to keep trying till we got a boy. Uh, but, uh, you know, she was healthy and she was, I mean, everything mm-hmm. was good. So we were just very fortunate that mm-hmm. we, you know, had her. Uh, so yeah, that was sort of like my baby boom period. I had three girls and I was doing the usual. I was, you know, taking care of them, taking them to the park and getting them fed and then my in-laws by this time were wanting they didn't drive so I would take them to the doctor's appointments I would be taking them to the temple uh, with my kids in row and Mm. and you know and diaper bag and everything so Uh, you were pretty much (laughs) living in the car it is either going to doctor's offices with the parents or I mean the grandparents or the kids you know, right. park. I mean, I, I remember that time period when we, we I had, I'm like, I, I remember there was a time when I would say, you know, if, if I only had a bathroom in the car, I would never have to leave my car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, so yeah, it was a pretty uh, hectic time just, uh, but I think after that, my uh, husband actually uh, lost his job for a he was laid off for a little bit of time and then he found a job here in Austin at Mm. Austin, Texas. And so basically we decided to move and, uh, you know, so we moved here uh, to Austin and my in-laws decided to stay six months with my brother-in-law, who's my husband's younger brother in California and six months with us in Austin, Texas. So you had a break. 
so I got a break. So I think moving to Austin was actually a very welcome change for me. I was like, you know, so it came here and after a long time, it almost felt kind of surreal that Mm. I was just with my kids and I was just, you know, spending more time with them. And, you know, we went for trips together. Um, And then um, uh, this is where kind of things started changing for me, because when my in-laws were in California, I had a little bit more time. Time for yourself. For myself. And, Ah. you know, I had three kids and I was feeling very down about how I looked and out of shape. And my husband said, you know, just go to the gym, start working out, you know, whatever. And so I went and I got a trainer. Uh, started Good for training, you. Started training with a trainer. And uh, uh, I think that I was a little worried what would happen. My in-laws came back. Because oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, my mother-in-law is like, hey, if you want exercise, you do things that we did, you know, do some sweeping and mopping <laughs> and, you know, you get down on your knees. I mean, you know, you get into ship shape after that. You don't need uh, to leave the house for that. Right? You don't need to leave the house. Are you spending money to get into shape? Let me give you a few pointers <laughs> what you can do. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot we can do. In fact, she did not let me keep the cleaners, I remember, for a long time because she said, you know, why are we wasting money on cleaners? I mean, we can do much better job. And when she says we, she actually meant you. (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) Oh, boy. So anyway, so I kind of joined the gym and I started training. And then my husband actually was very supportive. And he said, you know what, if mom says anything, I will back you up. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So he would say, no, mom, she needs to go to the gym and, you know, Mm -hmm. just fine. So I was like, okay, that's good. Uh, And then sometime down the road, uh, you know, my daughter now was a middle schooler and she needed to we were worried like oh she needs to learn Mm self-defense and all that so there was actually at the same gym there was a taekwondo class okay very family-friendly taekwondo class and you know I joined that with my daughter and then um, after a year or so down the road my daughter decided to leave that and go to competitive dancing and Mm -hmm. I said you know what I'm kind of liking it I think I'll just keep at it mm-hmm. uh, and what I did not realize is like you know we always feel so uh, worried about how things will get managed if we take time out for ourselves yes. and I felt selfish I felt like you know I'm doing my class and I could be with the kids more or I could have done it's this the mommy cleaning. guilt it's the mommy it's a guilt. lot of guilt and yes. uh, but what I noticed is that things started falling into place mm-hmm. you know uh, people just kind of got used to it once I decided to put a boundary to and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. They knew that I go to the gym and then they knew I go for my class in the evening. So every, and of course I still cooked and cleaned and everything, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, I was able to carve that time out for myself. And that was something really good. That's something I realized later. I was like, you know what, you should just take out time for yourself everything else falls into place. But you didn't, but you didn't realize it at that time. You just did it because, you know, while you could. And yeah, I was like, okay, I'm getting this hour. I'm just going to go and come back. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Make the most of it. Yeah. Not realizing most- that, you know, by doing that, you're actually setting boundaries 
Exactly. Right? And, and uh, I had no boundaries. I would let everybody just suck me dry. Like mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. someone wanted this, I was there. If someone wanted this, I was there. And of course, my sister-in-law said, oh, you are a, a, a super mom. And I did not realize till many, many years later that actually was not a good thing. Mm-mm. I don't want to be a super mom or a super uh, woman, you know, mm-hmm. I just want to be a normal. <laughs> you, just want time to, you just need time to sleep and have some time for yourself as well. Right. Uh, so, um, so then you, you decided to actually pursue Taekwondo uh, because you noticed that it just, how did it make you feel? I mean, cause I, I know you said now when you look back, you realize that, you know, it, it created all these things for you, but at the time you didn't, but there was something that made you want to keep going with Taekwondo. What was that? I think that uh, I realized after I started working out at the gym that I do like uh, a lot of physical activity. For me, it was something very therapeutic. Mm. It would help me release a lot of stress or anxiety or just, you know, tiredness. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I started doing Taekwondo, I felt that that it was very uh, therapeutic for me. And, you know, somebody would say, like, you're kicking and punching. How is that therapy? But you just go into the zone for that hour where you're not thinking about anything. You're just releasing a lot of tension. And uh, we had a very good uh, program. Our instructors were very, very, uh, you know, kind. And they were, uh, they didn't only look at you as one student, but they kind of looked at you as their kids, you know, it was their community. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gave me a lot of confidence also, because I was always a very petite person. Mm -hmm. uh, And I remember, uh, you know, but I was, Sometimes, you know, I would get in front of people to defend my friends and they would mm-hmm. be like, what her, you know, we just blow her away. She's like so tiny. Mm-hmm. And I think that I always uh, wanted to feel strong. Mm-hmm. I think it gave me a, that sense that I was strong mm-hmm. and uh, it made me feel like uh, gave me a lot of confidence. I mean, I could just notice it in the way you walk and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you could see that my head was high, my, you know, I was walking straight, because that is something you have to do anyway, when you're doing Taekwondo, right, right. So I felt I got a lot of, uh, and I got a lot of like, when you're learning self defense, how to take care of yourself. uh, That gave me, you know, a lot of motivation, Mm -hmm. like, once again, I was there where I could take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I was more confident. And when I started helping kid, uh, people out in their class, when I got a, became a higher belt, I actually found out that I was back into my teaching mode, mm. like in my elementary <laughs> right, school, right, right. you know, and I was helping them learn self-defense and I was, you know, teaching them forms and I really, really started enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And that made me decide. And of course, my, my grandmaster, who's a seventh degree black belt, has also been a big inspiration because okay. I'm like, wow, she's like seventh degree. I mean, if I wanted, I could just keep going. There's mm-hmm. no stopping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so yeah, I just kind of got into it and I decided this was going to be my thing because it gave me a lot of confidence. 
it made gave me therapy. I mean, I would go sometimes in class and I would say, you know, I've just had such a rough day. I would I just want to stay home. I don't want to go to class. But on days I did not go for class, I felt even worse. Yes. It, it did not help me feel better. Right. So even if I went into class feeling crappy, I would always come, come out, out of the class feeling so good. It was like I feel like everything just got washed away. Yep. And I could go back and just face whatever was there at home. Mm-hmm. So I think just that feeling was enough for me and that feeling that I can be, I can help others. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you're actually, what degree are you now? Because you're a black belt. You're, how many degrees do you have in black belt now? Um, I'm a fourth degree black belt now. So you're uh, master. Mona. I'm a master. And uh, yes, that was also something I had no idea I was going to be doing it, but mm-hmm. I just kept going and going and going and before I knew it I was an assistant instructor and I, when I was a second degree then I became a fourth degree a third degree and then I became a master and I keep telling my instructors like after after this I think I'm just going to stop and they're like no I don't think you're going to stop I think you're going to keep going <laughs> yeah I think you're going to be grandmaster too that's awesome though so you're back into your zone you know your comfort zone of teaching because that just comes naturally to you and you're enjoying it. So mm. how um, how has that helped the Taekwondo and, uh, you know, you're doing the Taekwondo? How has that helped with your kids? Because your, your middle daughter has still is, you know, she would still be considered special needs, right? So mm-hmm. have you been using, Has have all your kids been doing Taekwondo too? Have they, have you been helping them with that or? I wish. Uh, <laughs> I did try to get them into Taekwondo, my youngest one, but, uh, you know, and then they're all like, mom, we'll just learn from you, uh, you know, we'll That's just, usually what they say. usually what they say. So no, I could not get them into Taekwondo. Uh, but they are very, uh, you know, I do every now and then just, you know, horse around with them and mm-hmm. just grab them in a certain way. And then <laughs> I'll ask them to get out. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh so I think yeah they didn't get into it but I think uh my middle daughter I I did try to teach her uh I think it's been challenging for her because she has a she has some you know gross motor and fine mm-hmm. motor delays and mm-hmm. also when she was a freshman she actually got diagnosed with rheumatoid uh, arthritis okay and so that it's has hard. been also uh hard for her to do mm-hmm. any much physical activity okay so, yeah. So um, ha- now, now that because y- you said that, um, you know, being going into Taekwondo and becoming black belt gave you a lot of confidence. How has that changed how you have looked at life if you had not gotten the black belt? Because it's, it's almost like you had a uh, you became a different person after you know you started teaching and that 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 it's almost like a mm, like a, a new Energizing. version yeah a new version of you and can, can you can you say can you, can you give an example of what you may have not done if you you know like uh, so now that you have a black belt a situation where you could have kind of how you would have looked at things differently hmm. i think i would have been very unhappy <laughs> Uh, I think that uh, having a black belt 
uh, has definitely, uh, you know, I perceive myself as someone who is sort of, uh, is just me. Mm-hmm. because I have, uh, you know, all this time been a wife and I've been a mom and I've been a daughter-in-law and a sister-in-law, but I really did not have any identity of mm. my own. And I okay. think this really separated me from the rest of the family. Uh, it made me feel like I had my own place. Mm. Uh, so that definitely did a lot for my self-esteem. Uh, and confidence. Mm-hmm. And it also helped me build that for my kids. Because, uh, you know, before that, I would have not thought of all this. I was like, yeah, it doesn't have to be Taekwondo, but whatever else is that you are, you know, passionate about, or mm-hmm. you have interests, you should always pursue them, because mm-hmm. you never know. And as I said, sometimes you get in life what you always wanted Mm -hmm. like I wanted to be a teacher but I never would have thought that I was going to be a martial arts teacher right I was always thinking like yeah I'd be in some elementary school I'll be a teacher for kindergartners or Mm -hmm. you know somewhere in the back of my head so Mm -hmm. it's always very surprising how you get what you want Mm -hmm. but in a very different way for example for my daughter I have uh, for my middle daughter who's has special needs. Uh, I always was at a loss for finding a community for her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I remember as she was going through school and elementary, middle and high, and she wanted to go to the same mainstream schools as my other two girls. But, you know, she never had friends. I never had parents who I could relate with Mm -hmm. and uh, I think we really missed having a community or a platform where we could feel like we belong Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a special needs child and as being the mom of a Mm -hmm. special needs child Mm -hmm. and I think that that was another thing that kind of then finally came into picture as the kids got older and they went to college and you know, now I had her, I could just focus on her and mm-hmm. on her future and what her life would look like. And, uh, you know, luckily, I think two years ago, I got uh, introduced into a group of uh, women. And it was just a WhatsApp group. And they said, you know, we basically just exchange information. And they were all the South Asians, mm-hmm. all Indians. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised. And uh, I said, I how come I didn't know this group when I was in school when you needed it when I needed it and uh, but I was just hungry for it and I said I became a part of that group and Mm -hmm. the moderator of that group uh, really welcomed me and you know invited me to all the Halloween parties and the Christmas parties that they Mm -hmm. were having for everybody Mm -hmm. and uh, I became uh, quite active I would help her Mm -hmm. and I I was very happy I was like my daughter has you know like three or four other teen girls who mm-hmm. you know older girls who are her friends and um, we would be able to talk about stuff again it's kind of like there there was one talk of about becoming to India uh, coming from India over here and get you know having kids but this was another connection of being able to be part of a community where mm-hmm. there are Indians with special need kids right and uh, so 
we basically, I think in 2019, from 10 families, it grew to like 95 families. Wow. I had no idea that in Austin, Texas, we have about 100 Indian families with kids with special needs. No kidding. And uh, I, again, I wanted to do social work. If you remember, I right. started that club when I was right. in my, you know, in your teens. <laughs> I, in my teens. And I was like, wow, I've always wanted to be a part of a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And I was always wondered where I would, how that would happen. Mm -hmm. And then this friend of mine, the moderator, uh, started talking to me one day. And apparently her life was very parallel to mine in the sense of, she was she had struggled with her daughter and she did not have a community mm -hmm. so we both finally decided to say hey our group has grown so much and if we want to bring awareness and if we want to give benefit to these kids mm -hmm. you know why don't we start a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. so we both just joined hands and we started did the started the paperwork and of course i had no idea mm -hmm. We both did not have any idea of how to go about it. So mm -hmm. we just did the old fashioned way, picking up the phone, calling people mm -hmm. and asking them for support, asking them questions. Uh, you know, finally, we had to do the 501c3 and we had no idea how to do the 501c3. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, talk to different people. So one thing we figured out we were both really good at was hustling. Hmm. That's good. So. Yeah, we basically wanted to get donations for the Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, Halloween trunk or treat uh, mm -hmm. for the kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we, you know, got our letterhead and, you know, and I learned for the first time how to use Google Docs. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea of. I'm so challenged in mm. that area. So my daughter would be the one I'd be calling her every 10 minutes like, oh, it froze. What do I do? Oh, how do you transfer files? How do you attach files? What does this even mean? <laughs> I know how that so goes. I learned quite a bit in that. And I mean, you're going to laugh, but I used to actually write in my notebook the steps to, mm -hmm. okay, how do you transfer files? And what does, how do you share files in Google Docs? Uh, it was just, it's been such a learning experience. It's and been, my daughter's like, Ma, all you have to do, Google. Just Google, Google. it. <laughs> It'll tell I you know, everything. But I I just find it so much easier when someone tells me exactly. what to do. Just <laughs> tell me what it is. What do I have to go there and do it? Yes. I know. These kids are like, okay, just look in the phone, Google this and YouTube that. And mm -hmm. there it is. There you it know, is. you know. got it. So, uh, but yeah, we are very excited. We finally got our 501c3. So Congratulations. Are, and, uh, and, you, and you are the vice president? I'm the co-president. So co-president okay. uh, president and co-president. We are actually both presidents. We both do okay, things so together cool. and okay. we both have equal power. So we didn't really care too much. Another thing that really, I think, helps us is... Uh, not having a big ego. <laughs> mm. Yes. We you, need both kind of, you need to get the job done more than we anything. We just want to get the job done. And right. if we mess up or do something, we just own up, we apologize, and we mm. move on. There you go. <laughs> Best way to handle it. Yes. That's awesome. So you should, you know what? I'm really proud of you. You should be Thank so you. proud of all the goals that you've achieved. I mean, from where you were, you know, to where you are today. This is uh, now you are like, uh, you know, you're a grandmaster in Taekwondo. You're running a nonprofit. You're getting your wish, of course, <laughs> yes. of what you wanted. So having done all these things, um, you know, what would you want to tell other 
uh, others, especially those who are marginalized, you know, because we as women, immigrant, brown women, tend to uh, look at life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I, even when coming to this country, I never knew what it was like, you know, I mean, I just did what I needed to do. Only now I'm being aware of labels and what people say, oh, you shouldn't have had to deal with that. And I was like, well, I didn't know that, you know, so, but now having seen all that, what would you want to tell other women like us who wanted to like, you know, follow their dreams and do, do things? What would you, what kind of advice would you want to give them? Well, I would like to firstly tell them that, and these are things I just learned along the way mm. and later than I would have liked to, is if you have certain interests, if you have certain things that make you happy, keep a window for yourself for that. Um, you know, whatever it is, painting, reading, whatever it is, but keep a window for yourself because it is so easy to forget about yourself when you are in the midst of everything else. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a job, you have kids, you have a husband, you may even have in-laws at some point. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just are in the do, do, do mode, but we, and we are, and as you said, we feel uh, selfish. I mean, you don't want to take time out for yourself because that's not how we are trained in India. In in India, as they say, the Indian training is Mm -hmm. that you do for everyone. In fact, one time my friend asked me, and uh, this friend I have is actually, uh, has been a big support for me. She's born and brought up here Mm -hmm. in the US. Mm -hmm. She's Indian, Mm -hmm. uh, but she has a, her parents were immigrants. Mm -hmm. So she has a very good blend of being American and Mm -hmm. Indian at the same time. Mm -hmm. So she can think Indian and she can think American. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so she one day asked me and she said, what do you like? uh, What makes you happy? Mm -hmm. And I thought about it. And I said, you know, when everybody around me is happy, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. When my kids and my husband, my in-laws are happy, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, what makes you happy? Like, what do you like to do that makes you happy? I said, you know, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And this seems so selfish, right? To think about it. What do you mean I have to think about it? I? About me? Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that was a kind of a, a turn for me that like I never even thought about. And I was like, why is she even questioning me? This is the right answer. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what it's all about. This is what my life is for. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm here for everyone else. And if they're happy, I'm happy. My purpose is fulfilled. You know, it's it's funny you say that because I remember, I think it was an ad or something in in one of the TV commercials or something. It said that in, in India, sacrifice is another name for love. And exactly. at that time, it was like, wow, that is so cool. And now you're like, excuse me? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, that is, nope. you're right. It, it is a turning point. You know, the moment you start, think, you start thinking differently, yes. Yeah. And also don't worry about what things, what will happen to everything else if you take that window. Because you know what? Everything falls into place. Everything falls into place once once your family knows that this is really important to you, they will all fall in line. And I mean, my husband 
took up cooking for two nights a week when I was going for class. Awesome. Uh, my, uh, you know, my kids were always patiently waiting for me to come back and never complained that I went to class. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were my cheerleaders. They would be coming for my black belt ceremonies and with their posters, oh, go awesome. mom, way to go. And <laughs> <laughs> That's my, so cool. And my husband was, you know, boasting about me at parties <laughs> like, oh, you know, she's, I, I don't have to worry about anything happening to me because I take my wife with me everywhere. <laughs> You're his bodyguard. <laughs> I'm his bodyguard. And my friends were like, oh, you know, this cheese kick ass. And so <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, I was, it was such a turn for me. I had never mm -hmm. even thought that that could happen. But mm -hmm. if I had just known that before, I could have started even earlier. Right. So definitely make a window for yourself. Secondly, I would say, put boundaries. Mm. and ask for help so important so I, I never important. never asked for help why because if I asked for help it meant I was incompetent right I asked for help it meant I was weak and I couldn't do it all mm -hmm. I mean I really had a very bad uh sort of meaning attached to you know, right. asking for help. Mm -hmm. Though my husband had no problem. Mm -hmm. Anytime anything needed to be done, he would get the whole family into the kitchen. Come on, <laughs> we have to do the dishes. Everyone, I need your help. And I'm like, he doesn't seem to have any problem. And I'm like, want to do it all. And mm -hmm. I would only ask for help if it was too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if that time people did not help me, I'd feel really bad mm -hmm. because I was like, See, I never asked for help. And the one time I asked for help mm -hmm. and, but nobody knows. Right. So How do they know unless you tell them? They're not mind unless readers. I tell them. So right. I later on realized that they are not the ones at fault. Mm -hmm. I am the one at fault for not letting them know how hard it is for me. Mm. I'm making it seem everything is like flowing and everything mm. is so good. And they also say like, yeah, she's managing everything and everything is mm -hmm. working fine. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that it was my fault. And I then started uh, reaching out to people and mm -hmm. saying, I need help. I would like you to, you know, do this and, you know, take care of the dishes or I'd like you to do that. Mm -hmm. And I still feel I wish I didn't have to say that all the time. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it definitely, I would say, put boundaries and ask for help whenever you can, because that is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of being kind to yourself. Mm. you need to be kind to yourself just like yes. you would be kind to a friend yes. you would be kind to other people in the family when you see that they're going through a time, rough time you are like hey can I pitch in and help you mm -hmm. right you pitch mm -hmm. in with your kids you pitch in your husband is overwhelmed with work and he needs help with some bank stuff you run and do it mm -hmm. and like why don't you do that for yourself why don't you you know give that same regard to yourself right and then the third thing I would say is find your support system. Oh, yes. Very so important. So important to find that support system. Important to find that community of people mm -hmm. who are there to just lift you up, who are there to tell you everything's going to be okay, who are there to share their experiences with you so you can see things in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't to have to be family. No, I'm talking not even about that. I'm actually talking about friends. Yes. I'm talking about friends or people in your work or people anywhere at the gym. But everybody has such different perspectives and your eyes open to the world. You're like, oh, wow. yes. It's like 
you know, stuff like this happens too. Mm -hmm. Like I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so true. So true. So true. So I have a final question for you. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know now, what would you have told your younger self? Uh, I would have said that uh, don't stop dreaming. Mm. When you do dream or you do put things out in the universe, they will happen. But just be ready for how they will happen in what way and form they will happen because they will happen in a very different way than you actually imagined. Also, just, you know, keep about, don't uh, figure out if you will come as long as close to your interests. So whenever you're doing something, if like I was very uh, involved in teaching and I liked, uh, you know, doing social work. So I always was seeking those kind of interests. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you will eventually end up there. Mm -hmm. So have a lot of patience and uh, just keep calm. And because many times you have to step outside yourself to see yourself. Mm. So life will come at you from many different angles, but you just stay focused and that's what I would tell myself. And I would tell my younger self to validate myself. Because as a girl and maybe being the youngest, I was always looking for validation. Mm. Every time I wanted approval, approval from my husband, approval from my kids, approval from my friends, approval from my teachers. And if they approved, then I knew that I was doing something right. Mm. And I think it took me a long time. And I wish I had known this when I was younger, that validate yourself. Right. You need to, you know who you are and be proud of who you are and validate yourself and be kind to yourself. That's one thing that we don't do and be kind to yourself. Yeah. And you know what, that, that, those are all valid even today, even right yeah. now. It's even like, right now. yes, you very need to be much kind, so. And things will eventually work out and everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. It wasn't meant to be anyway <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mona. I really appreciate you taking the time and listening to your story is fascinating. I am so in awe of your black belt. That is so thank cool. <laughs> nobody, nobody messed with you. Nobody better not mess with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And I do have a website called lovingheartsforall.org. If anybody would like to go and check the website out and see what we do. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, you could be one story away from being inspired.